With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The Volume. Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are wrapping up our NBA season preview content. Going to be giving our award predictions for the year. Going to be giving our final power rankings and discussing our NBA champions. But first, let's give our award picks, Logan. So, starting with the biggest of them all... Who's your pick for MVP this year? He's been here before, Carson. I have Nikola Jokic once again reigning as the MVP uh, of all of the basketball. Uh, I considered some other great guys here. Uh, Giannis, I think, and the Bucks are probably going to win the Eastern Conference. Uh, I think if the mm-hmm. Celtics end up with the top seed out East, maybe we see Jason Tatum get a little love. But I have the Nuggets coming out atop the West. And I think they have as reliable a regular season formula as any other team in basketball. Uh, Jokic is going to work great with Jamal Murray. Uh, even if he's not, we've seen uh, we've seen Jokic without Murray, without guys in the regular season, and he's carried them to regular season success. He's one of the greatest offensive elevators in NBA history, and that's what it comes down to to me. It's going to be one of the top seeds out in the East or the Western Conference. You've got to win a lot of games to do it. And I think with Embiid taking his, we can finally recrown Nikola Jokic as uh, the king of the NBA. You know, I think I think we just got voter fatigue last year. I think people were tired of voting mm-hmm. for Jokic. He was my MVP. He was your MVP. I think we get back to that this year. So it was tough deciding between Giannis and Jokic. I think those are going to be my top two seeds out east and west. I think either one of those guys gets it done, but I think Jokic reclaims his throne as the best player in the NBA this year and takes home his third MVP. I'm with you, and I also think that this is pretty much a two-horse race between him and Giannis. I think they definitely have the most reliable blend of elite production and elite team success. 
Tatum is probably third in this conversation for me just because I think the Celtics are going to win a lot more regular season games than the Sixers. I think that that's a team that is going to take a step back, presumably without James Harden out there, or if he is out there, it's going to be very weird vibes. So to me, Embiid is knocked down a peg in this conversation. I thought the race should have come down to Jokic and Giannis last year. I felt pretty strongly that those were the top two candidates, but Jokic is the most consistently dominant regular season force, and he is the most consistently available. Embiid is obviously going to deal with some sort of injury every single year, but even compared to Giannis, Jokic really has never been hurt in memory, and he doesn't rest a ton, and he's going to be on a great team that I agree with you is going to be the best in the West. And he is the lone superstar talent there. Giannis is going to have the elite offensive production, very good efficiency, neither of which will be quite on par with Jokic's. He's just not that level of brilliant offensive talent. He's not going to have that level of enhancing a team offense too, but then he has a pretty sizable two-way edge. But it does feel to me like a lot more credit in terms of regular season dominance will be given to Dame as that other legitimate superstar, fringe top 10, definitely top 15 player alongside Giannis. Jokic, as you said, we've seen it. One, two MVPs, one year where he was missing Murray for a third of it, another year where he was missing Murray and MPJ for the entire season, MPJ for the entire year except for nine games. His last three regular seasons, he's averaged 26-13-9 on 68% true shooting, legitimately unfathomable. He has an average on-off number of plus 14.3 over those three seasons. So again, by far the greatest impact in terms of the level his team is playing at when he's off the floor versus on it, which absolutely matters in these conversations. And you mentioned the voter fatigue working against him last year. Some of the ridiculous narratives that we saw pop up. It was really a disgraceful campaign that was made against him in the home stretch of last season. Now it feels like we're going to have the opposite effect. We're going to look and say, all right, well, for 90% of the year, we all said that he deserved it. And then things got really weird. And then he proved that he was the best player on the planet with an all-time great playoff run. Now, I think there could be a, a movement in the opposite direction saying, let's make sure that he gets his respect. But I also could see the same thing for Giannis if the Bucks do win 60 games. And he hasn't won an MVP in the last three years now. He's been in the conversation every one of those seasons. Those to me are the two best players on the planet, and they are the best set up to have these dominant statistical regular seasons and this dominant team success. Steph, I don't think can match them in either of those categories. He's my number three player in the world. Luka always enters these regular seasons as like co-favorite or outright favorite for MVP, and I have never once felt that he should be the pick because... Although we've seen this precedent change a bit in recent years with Russ winning in 2017, with Jokic winning as a sixth seed, overwhelmingly, you have to be on an elite regular season team. You certainly have to be on a playoff team. You certainly have to be on like a top six team in your conference. I don't even see that for the Mavs this year. And so to me, regardless of his statistical production, last year was unbelievable production from him and he didn't seriously enter those conversations as the year went along and it just was proven that the Mavs didn't have the necessary level of team success all right rookie of the year who you got Logan surprise surprise I've got Victor Wembanyama uh mm. I do think it's going to be a close race though uh between him and uh Chet Holmgren I think 
I don't know, Chet's almost flown a bit under the radar, Carson, because Vic's gotten so much attention. I think it's going to be close between the two, and I think they're going to have a similar impact. Obviously, Wemby is just a freak. If you've watched any of preseason or any of this leading up, I mean, he looks... You know, again, I hate... We do this KD thing, man. You were talking about that on last show, Carson, how people wanted to compare, like, Chet to KD and stuff like that. Vic really does, man, with the ball in his hands, with how fluid he is, looks like big KD moving out there. So I do think they're going to have similar impacts in terms of anchoring a defense, of completely transforming a defense. Uh, Chet and Wemby both are generational defensive prospects, and I think are going to completely take the Spurs and Thunder up uh, another level. I mean, you could argue maybe a Carson basketball historian here. In your opinion, who have been the most impactful rookies as defenders? I think Wemby and Chet could be two of the most impactful rookie defenders of all time. Well, I think that you would have a hard time finding a guy in the modern era who was more immediately impactful defensively than David Robinson. A bit unfair because he came into the league as a grown-ass man, but Kareem was a dude who came into the league as a pretty elite defender. I don't think either of these dudes are physically mature enough to reach that level, but again, those were grown men. When you're talking about, for Chet, now he's a year removed from college. For Wemby, at 19, I do believe they are very uniquely equipped just with these unbelievable physical traits, their size, their length, and their phenomenal instincts and timing as shot blockers, their mobility and ability to guard in space, but also to make up for any issues they have there with just this length that can erase so many issues. I expect them both to be among the best defensive rookies of this century, for sure. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think that you make a great point there. They might not be uh, you know, terribly physically imposing at this point. They may get dominated in certain matchups and on the boards a little bit, but that is game-changing length and size. I mean, I know this clip has been going around on Twitter. Everybody's been fawning at Wemby. It's going to be all year. Look, <laughs> if you're tired of it now, you better get ready because they're going to wear it out. It, it, Wemby's one of the freakish players ever, but uh, he's standing at the elbow, Carson, and he's effectively one step away from the uh, from the rim, and he's one step away from the three-point mm-hmm. line. The recovery in length, it's, it's unreal for Wemby. So I think defensively, both of these guys are going to be super impactful. But I, I did some adjustments to my rankings, Carson. I initially had the Spurs at 30 wins. I, I think that's a little low, man. I think Wemby's actually going to force this team to win more games. I think he's actually... I don't know, going to lead them to a lot more wins in his rookie season than I anticipated. And I think he's further along offensively, too. He just looks really, really smooth, man. Uh, Off the dribble, he's got a seemingly unblockable shot in that Warriors preseason game. Uh, You see it, dude. They throw a ton of different matchups at him, man. If it's Draymond, if it's Clay, or not Draymond, excuse me. Dray wasn't out there. He's not healthy yet. If it was Clay, if it was Wiggins, if it was Looney. Wemby kind of breaks the game a little bit, man. He was dragging Looney out to the three-point line. Uh, Looney can't guard that shot. Wiggins can't guard his shot. It's it's crazy, man. I mean, his length is is completely game-changing. So I think in terms of winning impact, Wemby and Chet are going to have a lot their rookie seasons, but I think Wemby's obviously the number one top dog. He's going to produce a little bit more offensively, and I do think it's going to translate to a lot of wins. So it's going to be a tight race between those two guys. Both are two of the greatest prospects I've ever seen, but Wemby's obviously in a different class, and this is the easiest award to predict on the slate. 
I also have Wemby here, and just shouting out a couple of the all-time great defensive rookies. Bill Russell has got to be number one. Uh, he was the best defender on the planet and the most impactful defender in history. Basically from the jump, I do think he took a leap after his rookie year, but he still would have had that title as best in the league. And mentioning David Robinson, mentioning Victor Wamanyama, we have to talk about Tim Duncan, who was a top five defender on the planet the second that he stepped foot in the league. And we have seen some really good defenders in recent years as rookies. Evan Mobley, I thought, was a really impressively advanced defensive prospect, and then as a rookie, you saw that unique switchability and being able to really have an impact in that sort of dual rim protector setup. And then last year, Walker Kessler was a truly great rim protecting prospect, and you do see the real advantage that he has over Wemby over Chet is his physicality, his ability to guard in the post on top of just protecting the rim, where he was pretty great. But I do think that Wemby and Chet both have a different level of mobility, and in terms of pure rim protection, they can reach a higher ceiling. Wemby has physical tools that we really have never seen before, and that is not an overstatement. So I think that the conversation is between him and Chet because I'm so high on both of their defensive impacts. I also think Chet is going to be really efficient offensively for a rookie. I think he's going to shoot the hell out of the ball. I think he's going to finish well around the rim as a roller off of lobs. I think he's going to have a versatile impact, but it does come down to roll to some extent. I think he's going to be a third to fifth option. Scoot Henderson, another guy who physically is ready. He's going to pressure the rim. He's going to be a good playmaker. The consistency of the jump shot may come and go, but He's going to be behind Simons in that hierarchy early in the year. He's going to be behind Jeremy Grant. We'll see if anything happens with him, but he's just a much more proven offensive option. Even Shaden Sharp has explosive scoring ability. He's going to compete for a lot of touches there. Wemby, of course, I like Vassell. I like Keldon Johnson. I like Vassell more, but Wemby very well may lead the Spurs in scoring. And we can talk about, all right, how consistent is his jump shot going to be from the perimeter? How polished is his handle going to be night to night? But he is the most skilled offensive player here immediately to me when you blend that with his just outstanding physical tools. So I think he has more ways to score. He may not be more efficient. I don't think he will be as efficient as Chet, but I do think he will produce more raw numbers, and I think he will be even more impactful defensively. He does have the privilege of playing alongside another good rim protector in Zach Collins, who can maybe cover up for some of the weaknesses you would have playing either of these guys at the five immediately, which Chet is going to have to do, and I think Chet's going to anchor a good defense, but I'm with you on Wemby. I've been even more impressed by him throughout preseason and I really think this is a solid Spurs roster. I have them winning 32 games. I can't put them in the play-in conversation just because, I mean, we're leaving out somebody of the Pelicans or the Grizzlies or the Mavericks, whoever you want to take your pick. One of those teams, like a legitimately talented basketball team, is going to miss the play-in entirely. I don't think the Spurs are there. I think they're going to struggle to manufacture good half-court offense. Wemby isn't that sort of offensive number one to me right now. There's still too much to refine. But I think he's going to be the best player on a respectable team, and that's an accomplishment for any rookie. How about Defensive Player of the Year, Logan? Who you got? I'm giving it to Giannis Antetokounmpo, and uh, again, Giannis could win MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I thought he had a shot at winning it last year. Giannis held 
Uh, player 17% below their average field goal percentage inside of six feet last season. Uh, he's a tremendous help side rim protector. He's a great straight-up rim protector if they use him like that. That was the best mark in all of the NBA. And Giannis is just a, a game-breaking defensive talent. If they're using him in that rover role, in the drop role, he's so long. He's disruptive. Uh, he's just a game-changer, man. And he can cover so much ground with his length. Uh, there are other guys that I considered. Um, I don't think the Grizzlies are going to be good enough for Triple J to get consideration. I also think health is a concern uh, with him missing time. Uh, I think Anthony Davis could have a shot at winning this award too, but again, my health concerns are, mm-hmm. are just a little bit too high for me to put him in that conversation. And then Draymond, uh, again, may not be healthy for the start of the year, um, and I don't really know how that affects his award standing. So I'm going to go with the healthiest guy, but also the guy that I think is the most impactful in terms of overall um, production. I think the Bucks could have maybe the league's best defense uh, save the Lakers uh, at the end of the season. Well, you say save the Lakers, Logan. I'm going with Anthony Davis here. And I totally agree. There's a reason that he hasn't won this award before, and it is a question of availability. AD hasn't played 70 games in a season in the last five years. So if you can't meet that mark, it's pretty tough to win an award. But I do believe he is the best defensive player on the planet. We saw just that utterly dominant run in the playoffs. We talked about holding opposing players 16% below their typical field goal percentage around the rim, blocking over three shots per game, totally stifling those Grizzlies and Warriors offenses. And he had an unbelievable regular season defensively last year. He improved the Lakers defense by seven points per 100 when he was on the floor. They played as the equivalent to the best defense in the NBA when he was out there. He is, to me, the best defensive playmaker on the planet as that truly elite rim protector who also has great hands, who can affect scores out of the post with his hands, who can impact those pocket passes. He just takes more stuff away than a lot of other dudes do, consistently is averaging over a steal a game. So he's going to walk into three to four stocks per game. That's huge. A big part of Defensive Player of the Year is those gaudy block numbers, and if you can combine that with gaudy steals numbers, that's pretty damn good. And when I look at the elite defenses around the league, the Bucks, well, they have two elite rim protectors in Giannis and Brook Lopez. The Cleveland Cavaliers have two elite interior defenders in Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. The Grizzlies last year had two elite interior defenders with Adams and Triple J. I don't think they're going to be an elite defense without Adams out there. They took a real step back after his injury last year. They got crushed on the glass after being the best rebounding team in basketball. Triple J just can't really anchor an interior defense in its totality like that. He's a phenomenal shot blocker. He's lethal out of drop coverage. He's pretty good guarding the perimeter. But that physical presence on the interior, that rebounding presence, he's not at the level of an Anthony Davis who is also going to eat up those defensive rebounds. And I do think the fact that he has never won will play in his favor if he's healthy enough. Because if you think about who are the three best defenders of this era... I think you can look at that 2013, well, 2014 to 2017 range and say, all right, Kawhi is probably the best defender on the planet. And then since that point, it's Draymond. Well, actually, Draymond also 15 to 17 is absolutely going head to head with Kawhi in that conversation. But since then, it's Dre and it's AD. I think those are pretty concretely the two best defenders. You can throw Giannis in there too, but I value the totality of 80s dominant rim protection 
over what Giannis does. They're both great. So to have a generational talent like that, to have him doing it for great team defenses, to have him doing it in LA as an offensive superstar too, it feels like if he can be out there enough, he's eventually going to get rewarded for that. And I hope for his sake that that is this year. So maybe he won't be available enough. I'm hoping that he will be. All right. How about most improved player, Logan? Who you got? I'm taking your boy, Carson, a Carson Breber favorite here. I am taking Mr. Tyrese Maxey. Mm -hmm. Uh, Carson, you prophesized uh, many moons ago that Tyrese Maxey would one day be a 25-point-per-game scorer in the NBA, and I think this is the year that he makes it happen. Uh, The point is he's going to have a lot more opportunity in Philadelphia this year. James Harden, Daryl Morey, uh, apparently their relationship is unfixable. Harden, again, disgruntled because he can't always be at the strip club or something. I don't know, man. Him and the Sixers aren't agreeing. uh, They're not meeting at a... (laughs) eye to eye right now so Mm -hmm. Harden is probably not going to play for the Sixers this year and if he does uh oh no I mean I expect him to get dealt at some point I expect him to sit out I I don't think Harden plays for the Sixers this year so yeah I think Maxie's going to have the ball in his hands a lot more it's going to be a lot more pick and roll with Maxie him running the offense running the show which in turn means what well uh, a lot more opportunity for playmaking a lot more opportunity to put up more shots Uh, and I want to be clear about something I've said this a myriad of times Carson as have you we both believe that you know James Harden is imperative to the winning formula here in Philadelphia, and so I don't think that Philly's going to be better than they were last year, but I think Maxie's numbers are going to be better than they were last year in terms of volume. So I think he maybe reaches 25 points, somewhere between six and seven assists if he's the primary ball handler, and I think that's enough to get an all-star nod out east. Uh, maybe an all-NBA nod at the end of the season, depending on how many games other superstars play, but And, you know, I think people have already recognized that he's taken the leap and that he's a a rising Mm -hmm. star. But I think this is the year where people finally fully open their eyes and they go, wow, uh, this kid's really, really damn good. And he'll be a first-time All-Star, which I think will in turn lead to him winning Most Improved, uh, very similar to how Laurie Markkinen did last season. Well, would that be similar, though? Because Markkinen basically had an entire revolution as a player like we saw him become more aggressive downhill as a driver more physical we saw his shooting versatility really weaponized in a unique way he went from being a flat-out disappointment to a flat-out star that's what's tough about predicting most improved player is sometimes dudes just take a leap like that that you couldn't possibly see coming julius randall all of a sudden is a capable playmaker and jump shooter eh. I mean, look, man, I'm talking about his most improved player season. Yeah, he flopped in the playoffs, but you can't dispute the reason he won that award in the regular season. You can't necessarily see stuff like that coming. And it is tough to win when you're coming from a place of a 20-point-per-game mm-hmm. scorer who was efficient, who was doing it on a good team. But that being said, I am also going with Tyrese Max here bruh. just because I am so confident in his ability to produce at a star level if Harden isn't out there. In 13 games without Harden last year, he averaged 24.8 points, 5.4 assists per game on 58% true shooting, and the Sixers still went 8-5 and five in those games. So I absolutely think that if they want to be an elite regular season team, Harden's ability to add a bit of scoring punch, but more importantly, to bring that consistent high-end playmaking to amplify and beat out of pick and roll... That is valuable, but I still think they can be a 50-win team or close to it without him, and I think that Maxi can really fill some of the void that is left in terms of production. 
He is an elite scorer of the basketball on all three levels. He is one of the best floater games in the league. He's a great mid-range shooter. He's an awesome pull-up three-point shooter and great off the catch. He's awesome in spot-up situations, attacking closeouts, knocking down catch-and-shoot threes. He's got great feel and deceptiveness out of pick-and-roll. He's lethal in transition with that full-court speed. He's just a bucket, and his playmaking is a bit rudimentary. As I've said before, I don't know if he could average seven assists per game, even with the ball in his hands a lot more. That feels like it would require a bit of a playmaking leap to me, but five to six, absolutely. Just as a product of becoming their primary ball handler, he should. And when I look at other dudes who I think are going to explode scoring this year, explode in terms of offensive production, I think Ant Simons has the upside to put up bigger numbers because he's going to be a number one option. I think he is a better playmaker and Simons could average 27 and seven. And I really wouldn't bat an eye, but I think doing it in a winning context, which Maxi is going to do is just going to be valued more. And he's going to have more of a path to that all-star status because of that. Other guys who I buy into taking a leap Cade, I just don't think you can give it to a former number one pick who's really only played a year of basketball. That's not the point of the award to me. I've talked about how I'm high on Jabari Smith taking a leap, but the award doesn't go to second year players. Like there's just certain criteria that you have to hit. And again, very high draft picks normally don't unless it's like jaw where you take a leap to real superstardom. Jalen Williams, I love, but I felt like we already saw sort of that leap last year. And that's the other thing. Mikal Bridges is the favorite to win the award right now. That feels so strange to me when we already saw him average 26 a game for the Nets last year. I get that maybe the totality of the year's production wasn't there, but would we really be impressed if he went out there and scored 24, 25 a game? Would that be deserving of most improved player? I tend to think no. Anybody else you want to shout out here? Yeah, what about your uh, what about your other boy, Darius Garland? Do you think there's any more room for him to take a leap? I think Garland would have to go pretty crazy, man. He is already an established star. He was an all-star two years ago. Easily could have been last year. I don't see it. I think that he improved in terms of his ability to manipulate defenders, to draw fouls last year. He's a great pick-and-roll playmaker, a really good shooter, but he would probably have to pressure the rim at a different level to take a real scoring leap. I don't see that. And bottom line, he's not the number one option in Cleveland. So no, I love Garland, but I can't see that in the cards for him. There was one more guy I considered, and I want to hear your opinion on this. What about Jordan Poole? Like just in terms of, of yeah. volume? I don't know. I can see him maybe pushing 25 a night, but he already scored 20 a game last year. And I think the Wizards are going to be so bad. I don't really view Poole as a decent candidate here. The one real dark horse who I don't think will put up the numbers necessary, but who I do just like as a guy who I think is going to improve a lot this year, just wanted to shout out Jalen Johnson. I thought he looked really good in preseason. I think that he's more empowered under Quinn Snyder. His shot looks better, looked really good in preseason. And that's a really high-level athlete who's got some really impressive playmaking tools for his size. And I think you put all those things together, you put him alongside Trey Young, the best lob thrower in basketball, weaponize that athleticism some more. I think Jalen Johnson's going to be a good player. But you generally have to take a leap to stardom or something close to it. 
I think the last seven guys to win this award have all been all-stars in the year that they won it. I don't see Jalen Johnson doing anything close to that, but I did want to shout out the boy. All right, coach of the year. Who you got, Logan? Uh, I got Oklahoma City's Mark Dagnalt, and I think uh, this is normally a a narrative-based award. You know, you're either a team Mm -hmm. that wasn't expected to – you know, be in real playoff contention and you really overachieve like Amani Williams or uh, your team that's expected to be really poor and you're about average. Uh, I think that because the Thunder are going to make the playoffs, they're going to give this award to him. I think they're going to be really close, if not top 10 on both sides of the ball. Uh, again, I really think that all these guys playing hard with Chet anchoring the defense, I think they can reach that ceiling defensively and then offensively. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is one of the handful of best players on planet Earth and is going to carry that offense to really high heights. So I think the Thunder are going to make the playoffs, and I think that that's going to be rewarded to Dagnall uh, by giving him Coach of the Year. They're going to be my five seed, um, and I think that's going to be enough to get it done. Uh, like I said, it's going to be narrative-based, so... I don't know what's going to pop up. Maybe I have the Pelicans winning 50 games too, so I also considered Willie Green maybe taking home uh, the award, but I'm going to go with uh, Dagnall. This is kind of unfortunate. We're agreeing on a lot of awards Man, here. dude. <laughs> I have Dagnall too. He was already nominated last year, and I just think the Thunder are the team that I am highest on relative to expectations this year. I have them as the five seed. I have them winning 48 games. I think this is a team that can be really good on both sides of the ball, maybe top 10 on both sides of the ball with the addition of Chet. I think he'll get some credit for just the organizational competence there, the player development, young guys continuing to improve. And I do think that he's a good X's and O's coach. I think that they are able to do some really unique stuff offensively just with the multitude of ball handlers of really all sizes who they have inverted pick and rolls they've got skill everywhere really I just think that's going to be a team that is uniquely good for their age they play outstandingly hard for such a young team we talked about towards the top of the league in every hustle stat you don't see that from one of the handful of youngest teams in the league normally they just play so far beyond their age and I think you have to reward the coach for that it's like what Taylor Jenkins was doing with the Grizzlies teams of a couple years ago now those teams are older they're more mature and I'm actually pretty down on them this year with the Adams injury and with the jaw suspension but Getting really young teams to play hard, uh, to play to their strengths, to win a lot of regular season games, that's something that to me should be rewarded. Taylor Jenkins hasn't won one, but I mean, I feel like he's been in the conversation every year. I probably would have given him one at some point, and I think that Dagnall's in a good position to do it. How about six man of the year, Logan? Who you got? Last year, uh, I faded this young man uh, in favor of another one of my favorite players, but I'm doing it. I'm going to give it to my favorite player in all the NBA, uh, Emmanuel Quickly. Man, I always love how he gets a, just a nice, solid chuckle out of Carson Brevard. It's now. just absurd. You're not a Knicks fan. He's not close to a star player, and yet Emmanuel Quickly is your favorite player in the NBA. It never gets old. Ooh-wee, that floater is so nasty, right, Carson? Um, yeah, but why wouldn't Tyrese Maxey be your favorite player? Because he's so much nastier, and his floater is every bit as nasty, if not more so. Nah, Emmanuel Quickly's got the nastiest floater of all time, bro. I'm not going to take any Quickly floater slander. It's, I'm not slandering his floater. <laughs> I'm just saying Maxey is cooler in every other way and equal footing in terms of the elite floater. But go ahead. Uh, I think that 
I know that there was a little bit of discussion last season after Quickly broke out about if he was going to start this year. I don't really think that's the ideal role for Quickly. I think there are guys, as we've discussed, Carson, that are just, you know, better suited for, you know, to come off the bench and, and fill it up. And I think Quickly fits that. Now, he can play off ball to other guards on this roster, DiVincenzo, uh, Brunson. And I think he can be successful. You know, he's a good three-point shooter and floor spacer. But I think this is the ideal role for Quickly. He can go out there, he can dominate the rock, and he can just fill it up. He averaged 15 a night last season. Obviously, he doesn't win. They give it to Malcolm Brogdon. I thought that was the right call. You actually went with Quickly for our awards. If he's uh, brought off the bench again, um, again, the Knicks were one of the best uh, benches in the league last season. They were super imperative to getting them wins. Um, if he's up near 15 a, a night again, I think he's one of the best bench scorers in all of basketball. He's a pretty solid playmaker, and he's a really underrated defender on top of that, too. Um, can shoot the hell out of the ball, really crafty, can get into the lane, and has some of the best touch I've ever seen. This season, I want to see it translate to the playoffs. Quickly kind of disappointed me on that stage, yeah. but in terms of regular season production, I think we can count on Quickly being great again this year, and... Uh, if the Knicks bench is great again, I think they give it to Quickly. So uh, I'm going to give that one to him. Shout out to IQ. He was unbelievable post-All-Star break last year. Averaged like 21 a game as the Knicks went on their best stretch of basketball of the year. So I thought he made a really good case last year. I don't think that production, that level is sustainable for him. I do think he's one of the best six men in the league, but he is... Uh, a more predictable offensive player to me. He's very reliant on pull-up threes and floaters. I look at a guy like Malik Monk, Logan, and I think that's a dude who's got it all offensively. That's a dude who in spot-up situations can kill you with the shooting, can kill you with his athleticism attacking closeouts. That's a dude who's got underrated craftiness and change in pace out of pick and roll. That's a dude who can get you a bucket in isolation situations. That's a dude who can run the floor in transition. And again, a legitimately good playmaker, a guy who really took strides there last year, good at weaponizing the defensive attention he demands to creating shots for his teammates, playing also in some spacing heaven where he's got shooters all around. But I think he is the most complete offensive sixth man. I value that scoring versatility a lot over IQs. We're not talking about the playoffs here. We're talking about regular season. But who took their game up a level? Who looked like a fringe star dropping 19 a night in the playoffs? Who disappeared? Who was wildly disappointing? Malik was the more versatile bucket. He was able to impose his will more, especially with that athleticism getting into the paint. He's just more of a mismatch for dudes around the league. Norman Powell is another guy who I think is going to put up big scoring numbers, maybe the biggest of the bunch, but he's so limited as a playmaker. I think Malik's the best all around of the bunch. So maybe last year was the year for it to happen just because that was when the Kings hype train was going and Mike Brown won coach of the year and they were like one of the most exciting teams. They really broke out. But I think Malik himself is going to be as good, if not better, this year. And he's my favorite. Shout out Bobby Portis, too. But I just think this ward is overwhelmingly about who are the dynamic bench guards who can give you that most fill-it-up offense. Since 2005, two front court players have won sixth man of the year. That's in 19 seasons. So I think you have to look at those offensive oriented guards and I think Malik is the best of the bunch 
I think that's a good pick. Do you think he's going to get more burn this year? He averaged about 23 minutes a night last season. Do you think they play him more? I would play him a little bit more. I mean, think about how vital he was in that playoff run. I'd start him over Kevin Herter, if I'm being honest, and I'd dump Herter somewhere else. I don't agree with that just because I think when you're looking at what the different units need, Herter, his shooting is so valuable, spot-up situations – handoffs with that starting five Malik brings that juice that creation off the bounce where you want to stagger him and Fox a little bit more Uh, he was a much much better player in the playoffs last year but I do think in terms of the synergy of those lineups Herder with the starters makes sense but you really can't overstate how big of a moment this is for me Logan because if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time an unreasonably long time we're talking since its inception here I get excited about Malik Monk just about every year I mean, he would go on these home stretch garbage time runs where he's dropping 20 a night. This outstanding blend of pure athleticism and shooting ability. I liked him as a prospect and I would just get excited. And then there came a point where I was like, you know what? I can't keep doing this to myself, but we're back, man. We're back. He's proven this is the best version of Malik we've ever seen. And I am in on him having a career season after he already had a career season last year. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone's got a shot at even bigger basketball wins. String together multiple bets from the same game or build your parlay across multiple games for a shot at making your payday even sweeter. Basketball is more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5 only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code NERDS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions terms and responsible gaming resources so now let's get to our power rankings logan we've already talked about each of these teams individually as we've done our division predictions this is not going to be a matter of regular season success this is how we view these teams in terms of their chances to win a championship projecting to the playoffs our top 10 who do you have in that 10 spot logan Yeah, number 10, I have the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, You know, I think it starts and ends their title chances do with the health of Zion Williamson. Uh, We cannot rely on Zion to be fully healthy. It's just a reality. Um, He's missed too much time. I mentioned this in our preview episode. He's the most efficient 25-point-per-game scorer of all time. Zion's unstoppable rolling to the rack, and that's what's going to lead this team to being great offensively. Last season, they were top 10 in defensive rating. I think those are the requisite marks that they have to hit to be a genuine title contender. This has to be a great defense. I think they can physically impose their will on other teams. They're long, they're strong, they're going to dominate the glass, but they need Zion 
to lead this offense to really great heights. McCollum and Ingram are great twos and threes, but they're not number ones that are going to lead this team out to contention without Zion. I mean, we just saw that last season. I don't love their depth. I don't love their total creation down this roster. Again, this is Zion being fully healthy. This is Ingram uh, locking in defensively, playing great uh, ball like he did last season. I thought he reached a playmaking and scoring uh, apex. I mean, I thought this was the best season of basketball that we've ever seen Brandon Ingram play. Um, Is it likely? No. That's why they're number 10, but I would give New Orleans a very slim outside shot uh, it either getting to the finals or winning the finals if Zion's healthy. We've just never seen it, and I want to this season. Uh, my close omissions, I considered Cleveland. I considered OKC, both of them. OKC, just a little bit too young right now for me to put them in my top 10. And then Cleveland, a little too many red flags uh, spilling over mm-hmm. from last season for me to put them in my 10 spot. So I'll pencil in New Orleans here, and here's to hoping that this is finally the year we see Zion healthy. Yeah, I think that we're all pulling for it, and you and I are both very high on healthy Zion. I think if you've been paying attention, you have to be. He's a top 15 player alive. He's one of the most uniquely dominant offensive players we've ever seen, and I do think the healthy Pelicans are really good. They're one of my toughest cuts. I think it's tough for them to be truly elite on either side of the ball, just with the lack of really high-end rim protection. They've got very good defensive wings, and then also offensively, they have a good blend of perimeter creation from CJ and BI, and then that great rim pressure from Zion and Valanciunas. But in terms of some of those effortless runs, overly dynamic shooting, ideal spacing, star playmaking, I just don't think that they're in the top tier. But I do think they should be a good team on both sides of the ball. And I'm with you on the Cavs. That was my toughest cut. I think that they have a couple clear strengths that is going to lead them to win a lot of regular season games that star shot making from the guards and that elite rim protection but everything that we saw bite them last year in the playoffs that lack of skill and athleticism from the wings yes they've added Struess and yang those guys can shoot they're not versatile offensive players they can't attack closeouts with their athleticism they're still not really guys you want to rely on offensively in big spots And then that compounded by the lack of offensive skill from the two bigs, which was really damaging, just shrinking the floor, allowing teams to key in on those star guards. Those things are too limiting. It makes them too predictable offensively. You can lull Donnie into those just tough shot stretches where it's a bunch of pull-up threes. I don't feel that the Cavs have fixed their issues until we see a leap from Evan Mobley and until they get better on the wings. But... In my number 10 spot, I have a team that we haven't seen on the playoff stage, but I do have more faith in terms of their roster top to bottom, their depth, their wing play, the variety of ways in which they can win. I have the thunder here. I think this is going to be a really good defense. They were above average last year without any real high-level rim protection because they had great length, they had versatile guys, they were incredible in the effort categories. Now you add Chet, I think he is a pro-ready rim protector. They have a superstar creator in SGA who is going to generate good offense, and they have a good secondary creator from the perimeter in Jalen Williams, who I love. I think he's super versatile, big-time scorer and playmaker. Now they have improved shooting and finishing from a guy like Chet Holmgren. I just think this is a team that was already solid last year, has added talent, and is very much trending upwards. I don't see there's any path for them to win the title, though. 
first of all, they are young. Guys who I believe will be bona fide star talents down the line, like Jalen Williams, like Chet Holmgren especially, I don't think will be there this year in their second and first seasons respectively. But also, this isn't a team that I think is built to explode in terms of their shooting. Whenever you have Giddy and Dort out there for big minutes, those are just two non-shooters. They're going to limit that a little bit. And although I really like Chet, as a pure rim protector, in terms of the physicality categories on the interior, I still think that they're going to be a little bit outmatched. So this is a team that is going to be good on both sides of the ball, that has foundational pieces on both sides of the ball, that is going to play really hard, they're athletic, they're going to be a tough out for anybody. But are they at the point right now where I can see them winning multiple playoff series? Definitely not. They're a tier below that. But they're also, I think, a very legitimately good basketball team. So I have them at number 10. Yeah, I think they're really good too. And I think they're going to be competitive night to night. I can see them pushing a team in the first round maybe, um, you know, in terms of being competitive. Uh, but I don't see them as a legit contender. And that's kind of the tier that these teams are in all the way up to number seven. I don't consider them real contenders. But, you know, I didn't consider the Miami Heat to be a real contender last season. And Who did? You know, they got to the NBA Finals. So... What do I know? At number nine, uh, I have the New York uh, basketball Knicks, and I think there's a lot to like uh, about the Knicks. I like a lot of what they did in the offseason, and I like a lot of the young talent that they have. This bench was imperative to them winning a ton of basketball games last year, and it's going to be imperative again to have the luxury of the Nova boys, either one of Dante DiVincenzo or Josh Hart off the bench is huge. To have Emmanuel quickly off the bench, to have these young guys like Deuce McBride, Quentin Grimes. Minor assets, but I like them a lot. I like Deuce McBride's uh, defensive game. I think we saw in college at West Virginia, he had some offensive creation. I hope with added burn, he shows us some more of that. Uh, Quentin Grimes, stretches where he was shooting the hell out of the ball. He's a good athlete, can attack closeouts. So I like a lot of the talent here. And I love Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel Quickly are my two favorite players in all of basketball. And Brunson is uh, huge in terms of what he can do for an offense, the way he collapses the defense, the way he uses screens and just gets downhill. I mean, you have to pay him so much attention, it just opens the floor for all of the other pieces. And I think this can be a great team defense, too, which they weren't last season. With Mitchell Robinson in the middle and all these dogs and Thibodeau's mindset, I think this can be a great team defense. The things that hold this team back for me are the same things that held this team back last season. It's Julius Randle playing mm -hmm. good basketball, just making good decisions, playmaking correctly, taking smart shots, being efficient, being good on the playoff stage. I can't bank on that, and I also can't bank on R.J. Barrett being better. He was better in the playoff run. I want to give him a ton of credit. He was crashing the boards. He was playing good defense. He was attacking closeouts. He was making open shots, and he wasn't forcing things out of rhythm. Do I expect that for a full season? Do I expect real growth from RJ? I'm hopeful for it. I'm optimistic, but I wouldn't bank on it. And so that's ultimately what holds the Knicks back for me. I think they could win a playoff series. I don't think they could win the title this year. I think it needs to be addition by subtraction, Carson, until they get rid of Randall or make a, a real, you know, star improvement. That's what they need alongside Brunson. I don't think they can get it done. I like the Knicks a lot, but I don't love them enough to say that they're a real title contender. I am so close to loving the New York Knicks. I love Brunson as a half-court engine. He made them a damn good offense down the stretch last regular season and then was unbelievable in the playoffs. I think that this is a stronger core of role players than last year. 
with a full season of Josh Hart with Dante DiVincenzo. I think there's a bit more defense, playmaking, shooting on the wings, real solid guys. I think they're a lead in terms of size and rebounding. I think they're certainly a more complete all-around basketball team than somebody like the Cavs. And we saw that in their matchup last year. Who had more quality basketball players? Who had more quality wings? Who had fewer glaring weaknesses that could be exposed? It was the Knicks. But they do still have one real big problem, and that is playoff Julius Randle, who, I'm with you, has been awful every series we've seen him in. Last year, averaged 16.6 points per game with as many turnovers as assists on 48.5% true shooting. Just an embarrassment. And he's way too erratic as a jump shooter to be relied on in a star role offensively with the frequency at which he likes to take them. And when it comes to a playoff setting and defenses really try to make him beat them with playmaking, when they load up on him, he just crumbles. And we've seen it every time that he's been there up to this point. I also do still worry about R.J. Barrett in a really high-volume role offensively, just his consistency. And I worry about the spot-up shooting here, playing a non-shooting five in Robinson with Randall and R.J.'s inconsistencies. We saw it against the Heat last year, the willingness to load up on Brunson, to clog those paints, and to say, beat us with your spot-up shooting. And the Knicks just couldn't do it. So because I think that they're even better than last year, I have them in my nine spot, same as you, and I'm so, so close to feeling like they could be towards that legitimate contender tier. But when you have a star who I think is just going to be atrocious for a series at any time, or certainly in big games, is going to kill you in a high-volume role, you can only go so far like that. So they're close, but I'm with you. I can't put them into that legitimate contender tier yet. Who do you have at number eight, Logan? I've got the Philadelphia 76ers at eight, and I don't really, again, they're in this tier of not real contenders to me, but um, give them a chance to make a little noise in the playoffs. The real thing that I think is going to hold the Sixers back is something that we've discussed in depth. It's no James Harden. If Harden is not with this team, I think it really limits the ceiling that they can reach. He was super imperative to Joel Embiid last season, creating and generating a lot of easy looks for him. While Harden might not be at his apex, he's still a damn good player, right? Uh, he's a smart playmaker. He's you know, can control the offense and in a playoff setting can still explode. He's a volatile guy and can go for big games that swing series, right? He stole two games against the Celtics, mm -hmm. was huge in that series. Without Harden, Maxi will step up. He'll score more. He'll probably average more assists and he'll be a lot of fun, but I don't think it's going to lead to better offense. I think Harden is still makes this team better. Uh, defensively, I think they're going to be great with Embiid in the middle, guys on the wings. Offensively, I think they're going to be good with all this talent, with a 30-point-per-game score in Embiid, with a 25 guy in Tyrese Maxey, with Tobias Harris, but they're not better than last season. Um, you know, I like the additions of Kelly Oubre Jr. I like the Anthony Melton. I like Mo Bamba off the bench, but none of these are major needle movers to me, and without James Harden out on the floor, they're just not better than last year, and so I can't pick them to do anything else. I'd like to see another star in here. Um... And I hope this is not, you know, the the breaking point for Joel Embiid. We've talked about a lot of superstars, Carson, that may be getting fed up with their current situations. Embiid, Luka Doncic, I hope this isn't the breaking point for Philadelphia. But I think this is going to be another year of disappointment. I don't think Philly's a legit, legit contender to me. I definitely don't. They're closer to being 11 or 12 on this list for me than they are to being 6 if James Harden isn't out there. And I'm giving them the 8 spot, same as you. 
out of respect largely to Embiid's impact at his peak, we have seen him regress every time that he's been to the playoffs in a pretty significant way every time. And I definitely take note of that, but I also think the ability to have a guy who can be a really high-end defensive anchor and then who can also be a dominant scorer offensively is very valuable. He's one of the best players on the planet, and they do have good supporting scores alongside him. I think Maxi can get 25 a night. Tobias Harris, I don't love as your third option. I'd prefer him to be in that fourth option role where you don't need to rely on him night to night as much, but I still think the amount of attention that Embiid demands defense from a defense and the scoring skill alongside him there'll be a good offense but losing that playmaking from Harden losing that bit of scoring punch I do think matters I don't think this is a team that is going to explode a ton offensively in the playoffs I don't think this is a team that is going to get better in the playoffs certainly because we have seen it from Embiid when you send a lot of doubles at him he struggles with the playmaking we've seen his body break down we've seen his jump shot consistently fail him we've seen him not able to get to the line at nearly the same rate and that knocks down his production and efficiency as a scorer so you have to factor in some playoff regression from him you have to factor in that the entire offense won't run as smoothly without the sort of brilliant pick and roll playmaking you get from Harden and the depth here isn't great I like Melton I like Paul Reed but I don't see a ton of real high impact guys beyond the top three in this roster I think the Knicks are a more complete basketball team, but the Sixers have Joel Embiid. And even if it's playoff Embiid, he's a real, real difference maker. And, you know, they don't have to try to overcome Julius Randle shooting three of 18 with six turnovers every couple games. But you can't put them into that top tier. And as we've talked about, they are really plummeting towards uh, Embiid forcing their hand in a big way or Embiid just asking out entirely. And, that's a tough spot for them to be in. No, a very tough spot indeed, Carson. And I didn't anticipate having this team above uh, Philly, and maybe people will have some issues with this. I have the Miami Heat at number seven, and that's basically reputation-based. Uh, the Philly, the Philadelphia 76ers have shown me a track record. The Miami Heat have shown me a track record. The Heat's track record is that they just need to get into the playoffs to give themselves a chance. You know, they've got a brilliant schematic coach who can scheme up anything against any team that he plays. He's going to highlight matchups. He's going to make adjustments and he's going to make like fail on you come playoff time. They also have two of the best, uh, two of the top 10 best defenders on the planet. Bam Adebayo has defended the most isolations in the NBA, I believe over the past four seasons. And he's been the most efficient isolation defender in all of basketball. Bam is a game breaking talent in terms of his versatility. Jimmy Butler is a dog like I didn't pick the Miami Heat to win a single series last year I don't think a lot of people did you know we kept counting them out every step along the way and so I'm going to count them out again here I don't expect Miami to do anything this season but it doesn't matter if Miami's going to do something I mean they have the capacity to do it because of the adjustments they can make because of the ceiling that Jimmy Butler can reach in the playoffs because of how dominant their defense can be and if they can just get any of the role players again to step up and do what they did. They lose Max Struess. They lose. They lose Gabe Vincent. Those are huge losses, but they can replace them. They bring back in Josh Richardson. Tyler Hero is going to be healthy, hopefully, for this playoff run. Caleb Martin can maybe reach that ceiling, and then you got two young wings in Nikola Jovic and Jaime Jaquez Jr. who can hopefully produce. So, no, I wouldn't pick it, but the Miami Heat don't care. <laughs> They're going to do their thing. Um, I do have them as 
more legit contenders than Philadelphia, though, because we've seen it. We just haven't seen it from Philadelphia. I like. I might not. Uh, I might like the top end talent there more, but Miami's got a better formula and a better top two guys. So uh, I've got Miami in my seven spot. I prefer Miami in a playoff setting too. I have them at number seven. Lots of agreement so far from us, Logan. I just think. Philly is a team that is primed to regress in the playoffs. They are so singularly reliant on their one star who has some clear exploitable weaknesses. And Miami is sort of the opposite. They have a dude who consistently rises to the playoff stage in Jimmy Butler. And there are tangible reasons for that. His ability to physically impose himself, to get to his spots, to control the game, to set the pace. He just is a guy who is going to be better in the playoffs than the regular season. And because of their defensive anchor in Bam Adebayo, those guys are two top 20 players who are consistently going to step up. Yeah, maybe Jimmy doesn't play at the level that he did last year. That was pretty insane. We have seen it in three of the last four playoff runs now. But last year before he had that ankle injury was particularly just unfathomably good and bam may have some inconsistencies offensively but those two are really reliable and then the wing play i'm not concerned about them losing max Struess. i think he was a guy who got some heat inflation vincent to me served a more concrete role in the offense because of his ball handling his pick and roll ability his playmaking but I think they did a solid job of replenishing on the wings. I like Josh Richardson. I think he brings some of the same stuff. Hawkes is a bit different, but he's going to compete defensively. He's going to bring some versatile scoring. Caleb Martin is still there. He was the best of the wing core. So a lot of what they did last year, they still have in place. They still have these massive coaching advantages. But when I'm looking at, all right, making a run to the finals, would I expect the Boston Celtics to melt down in the same way, to have the same lapses in defensive effort for halves and games at a time? I wouldn't. Would I expect the Heat to have the same unconscious shooting stretches where they're 45 plus percent from deep for multiple rounds on super high volume? I wouldn't. Would I expect the Bucks to have the same half-court offensive issues now that they have Damian Lillard? I wouldn't. So all of those things compound, and this is just a team that overachieved. They still do have real playoff advantages over other teams, but versus the teams that are lapping them in terms of talent is last year replicable. I would bet against it. They are also still small. They are very reliant on Jimmy for that offensive creation. He's the, the guy who has to do so, so much there. So I feel good with Miami at seven. There's a gap between the top six and them to me just because of talent, but they have the most proven playoff resume of anybody below that tier. So I will give them their credit because of that. All right, who do you have at six, Logan? At six, I have the Phoenix Suns, and I think the Suns are the team most well-equipped to leap up into a higher tier. I just haven't seen it with Phoenix, and that's why they're going to start out really low here. This is where we start creeping into the genuine contender tier, teams that I really think could hoist the trophy at the end of the season. Phoenix, I'm really worried about on one side of the basketball when you have Yusuf Nurkic anchoring your defense and not a whole lot of other great defensive talent down the roster. I'm worried about them defensively, but when you look at the other side of the ball, mm -hmm. they've got three of the best offensive basketball players on the planet. KD and Book, unconscious off-the-dribble scores in the mid-range, super versatile, and hopefully Bradley Beal can add a little bit of that added rim pressure. That's what I really look at from the addition of Beal. They need someone who can be a little more dynamic, who can get downhill, but 
again, like you mentioned in our preview, if they stagger the minutes with one of those three guys and run them with the bench unit, you shouldn't really be starved for creation at any point during the game. It's also going to come down to what we get out of the uh, bench guys that they added. They added a lot of guys that I like, Watanabe, Eubanks, KBD, mm-hmm. uh, Nas Little, Grayson Allen off the bench. It's really going to be determined by what level those role players can reach to this season. There are guys that I like a lot, especially Grayson Allen. Um, not in terms of a human being, but in terms sure. of basketball skill set that he brings. Uh, Phoenix could win the title at the end of the season. This is where the cutoff point really starts for me. It's going to be about what ceiling can they reach defensively and how well do their role players play come playoff time. But they've got as much star power as any other team in basketball. They sure do. I have them at number five. I think they have such an elite offensive foundation. And yeah, there are little things that I worry about. The spot-up three-point shooting, their ability to explode there, and the rim pressure. Like, will they fall into some lulls where they're just settling for a whole lot of mid-range pull-ups and those aren't falling? We saw it bite them last year. We will see it bite them again. But for the most part, that shot-making skill is just going to be so great that they're going to be a top-five offense. Maybe they're not the best in the league. Maybe they're not the Nuggets, but they're in that next group. But I do agree with you. I think that... This team will be competitive defensively because I think that they have solid personnel there. Okogi is good. Book is solid. KD is good in that secondary rim protection role. But in totality, first of all, they're going to be relying pretty heavily on the same dudes carrying the offensive load to then go out there and bust their asses on defense. That's just not an ideal formula to have them have to all be giving everything on two ways to have them being the guys who are doing the little things who are playing with grit consistently making the hustle plays that's a lot of burden on your big three and then also because of their issues at the five again just lacking that high-end rim protection from Nurk I'm just not super impressed by the defensive talent and I think that when you're only average defensively you can really only go so far and maybe they can make a conference finals run, but winning it all, they would have to reach a higher level defensively than I am confident in them doing. But I love what they've done filling out the roster with the bench. I'm legitimately impressed by it. I think it's solid. They're just not the most complete two-way team when we're comparing them to the other teams in this contending tier. But I do like them more than the Warriors at number six because I think that offensive foundation is so reliably elite from the trio of Book, KD, and Beal, and especially that duo of Book and KD, who I think are among the handful of best scorers on the planet and are both top 10 players on the planet, period. With the Warriors, I look at their strengths. They have Steph Curry. That means they're going to be a good offense. I like what CP3 does to improve the second unit and their offensive competence in the non-Steph minutes. And I think they're going to be a good team defense. We've seen that with the foundation of Dre and Wiggs and Looney. So they should be a good team on both sides of the ball. But my concerns for them offensively remain the same as last year. That singular reliance on Steph to create when it comes down to it. Like, yeah, CP3 brings some pick and roll offense, but I don't love how he fits alongside Steph. He's not a dude who wants to be playing off ball, spot up shooting and whatnot. And he has really regressed as a scorer, as we've talked about. And we saw it last year. They get into these spots where... They have to play two big looks, which limits their offensive skill on the floor, but is really the only way for them to compete defensively in terms of size, especially against some of these big athletic teams in the West, like the Lakers, like the Nuggets. 
But then that just puts you in a spot where you don't have great offensive skill around Steph, you don't have great creation, and you don't have great shot making. So I still think there's too much of a burden on him to be just supernaturally great in this run. They can't blend those lineups that have size and skill at a high enough level for me to buy into them as a top-tier contender. But because of Steph, because of the solid defensive foundation, because of just how established this offense is overall, they have to be in my top six. Yeah, I mean, those are probably the biggest concerns for me with the Warriors, too. I have them. We flop on these two teams. I have them at number five. We're going to get a full year of Andrew Wiggins. Hopefully, he's not out of rhythm, out of sync with the team when it comes playoff time. I think this is going to be a great defense again, anchored by Draymond Green and Kevin Looney. I think there is added creation finally outside of Steph. It's not great. It's not ideal, like you mentioned, but you do have CP3 and you have Podzemski. So, you know, I think they're going to be better in those regards. And really the difference to me and why I have the Warriors over them is I just can trust the Warriors on defense. I prefer a two-way team to a team that's going to be singularly great on one end of the floor. I agree with you as, you know, you don't want to lean that heavy on Steph, but you're going to have to. My concern, my biggest concern with the Doves is probably Clay, And it's not even like, we know what Clay does. We know he can get hot in stretches. I mean, he's just... He's at 28% on 10 field goal attempts per game right now in the preseason, and I get this is preseason. He's 31% on five threes a game. Obviously, he's going to get better, but I mean, really, just overall regression, I guess, from Clay is another concern of mine, just in terms of, you know, defensive ability, reliable. Like, he's, I don't know. I don't think this is the same Clay that we can bank on being great. He wasn't great in the playoffs this season. I, I think he's the Warriors' fourth best player. You know what I mean? I think it goes Curry, Wiggins, Dre, and then it's Clay. Um, but I, I just prefer a two-way team to where, I, you know, I know the Suns going to be great offensively. I want the team that's going to be really good on both ends of the floor. Well, I think that's an important point about Clay, And I sort of, I guess, had factored that in as just a reality for this team because we already saw it last year. But yeah, you saw the painful inconsistency throughout last year's playoffs, throughout last season. I'm not worried about what we see from him in preseason, right? He sucked in October last year, and then he had a couple of the best regular season months of his career. But he is not a reliable second creator. He is not a reliable second star offensively. And it's hard to win when you don't have that. And they don't have the level of supporting finishing around the rim that a team like the Nuggets do. They don't have that level of spot-up shooting. There's not as complete an offensive juggernaut, and we saw that exposed by the Lakers, a great team defense, but there are certain things that you can't take away, and I don't think the Warriors' offense is in that tier right now. They're very good. They're not in that tier. Okay. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. 
Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Who do you have at number four here, Logan? At number four, I have the Boston Celtics. Uh, I think Boston improved a ton in this offseason. Uh, you get Drew Holiday. You get Kristaps Porzingis. Those were huge, massive gets. I mean, with that, you now have the best defensive guard tandem in all the basketball bar none with Derek White and Drew Holiday. You've got a pair of two really good defensive wings and athletic guys and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. You've got a little bit of lineup versatility now. If you want more size, you go Horford and Porzingis, or you can go with one or the other at the five. You never lose any floor spacing with either of those guys, unless Al wants to decide he can't hit the broad side of a barn like mm-hmm. he did in the playoffs last year. That was sad. The Celtics improved a lot. They made a lot of really good moves. I think Porzingis is going to add a dimension to this offense where hopefully they don't get into these lulls. They can throw it to him on the block. They can run DHOs. Uh, I mean, really, I think it's a question of, you know, what are we going to see from the Celtics in crunch time? Are they going to be great when it comes, uh, you know, in the clutch? And are they going to consistently put forth effort defensively? Those are my really big questions for Boston uh, I also I don't love the bench. I like Jordan Walsh. He's cool. Uh, I think their bench has definitely taken a step back with the moves they made, yeah. but I think it's worth it uh, when you can acquire two top end talents like Holiday, like Porzingis. Yeah, I think there's a little there's a little bit of weight on Peyton Pritchard to help this bench come along, but that's a minute detail. Uh, the Celtics improved a lot in the offseason, but it's a lot of fixing the issues that we've seen bite them in the ass in the playoffs the couple uh, the couple past years. Yeah, I don't want to beat a dead horse with the Celtics. This is the most talented starting five in basketball, top to bottom. I think this should be a significantly better team defensively than last year. They regressed in the playoffs. I think if they buy in consistently, they have even better personnel. They should be elite. They should be an elite two-way team. So I have them at number three. I just think their talent level is so high. And even when the Celtics underachieve and were disappointed, that's them losing in game seven of the conference finals. I think that the questions that remain, though, are their half-court offense in crunch time. Drew, to me, doesn't fix that with uh, some of the regression we've seen from him in the playoffs. Unreliable as a pull-up shooter. Not a great half-court offensive engine in totality. And Tatum, these lulls where he's settling for the same pull-up threes and where his playmaking falls apart. And Jalen is susceptible to falling into offensive lulls, too. He's a sort of two-dimensional offensive player who's also very limited as a playmaker so those are the concerns if Tatum takes that leap to where he is consistently great offensively where he's a more versatile shot maker a better playmaker a top five player night in night out the Celtics probably win the title I need to see that to buy into it and I am also worried about the depth here especially with the bigs especially with what we saw from Horford in last year's playoffs but I really like the Porzingis signing. I think that he had an underrated season. I think that level of offensive punch, rim finishing, shot making from the perimeter, and good rim protection, that dude is like a star level player to me. And I do like the Drew addition, but again, 
it helps them defensively. It doesn't solve their biggest offensive issues in terms of the consistency there. So until I see it, until I see that they, they can get over the same Achilles heel that has bit them in the past, I can't move them higher than number three. But I do have them there. And at number four, I have the Lakers, who I know you're a bit higher on. I think this is a team that is built to have the best defense in basketball because of how great of an anchor Anthony Davis is and because I like their personnel alongside him, especially in the front court, big physical wings. D'Lo was defending well in preseason. If he continues to buy in, he's a guy who has the physical tools to have an impact there. And I love their role players. I love their depth. I love the combinations they can have, the high-end shooting skill that they can get from some of the wings, Tori and Prince, the variety of ball handlers that they have, where if D'Lo sucks, you bring in Gabe Vincent, Austin Reeves, I think is a reliable third option, injecting more offensive skill in the front court with a guy like Christian Wood, and then injecting more uh, strong defensive personnel in the front court with a guy like Jackson Hayes. Top to bottom, I just think it's a versatile, really impressive roster. But the fundamental question that remains for me is if LeBron James and Anthony Davis can reliably enough reach the level that this team needs for them to win the title, because this is the best overall team that the Lakers have had. This was also certainly the lowest level that we've seen from LeBron in last year's playoff run. We'll see how much his foot was impacting him, but we've talked about it. Not taking over games with that creation from the perimeter, picking his spots much more, relying on his jump shot where he was struggling, putting up 24 a game on league average efficiency. You need more from him more consistently if you want to win the title. And the same goes for Anthony Davis offensively. There were just the stretches where he was too passive, too reliant on the touch shot making. I want to see more reliable offensive skill from him at the highest level. And so because those two were disappointing to me in the totality of last year's playoff run, they both had great, great moments, but they were both too inconsistent. That's why I can't put them in my top two, in my top three. Half-court offense, star offensive production is so, so important. And they have the ceiling if those dudes play at the level that they're capable of their best level night in night out i just have too many concerns about that still to have them above my number four spot i hear that carson and those are my big concerns for the lakers as well um uh, just lebron and anthony davis and if they can reach their apexes because both of them are going to need to i think anthony davis is going to have to be the best player on this basketball team for the lakers mm -hmm. to win the title they are my title favorite they are my number one in my power rankings uh, i know that's shocking but I think they've got one more year in them. I gave the Cliff Notes version of this in our Pacific Division preview pod, or excuse me, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version here. I think this Lakers team is cognizant that LeBron does not have a lot left in the tank, that this is a push year, that this is a year where everybody's going to need to put everything on the table and push. It's, it's all mm -hmm. hands on deck to get LeBron another ring. It's going to take him playing great. It's going to take AD playing great. It's going to take all of the other guys doing their jobs as well. But I think you laid out a lot of the distinct advantages that the Lakers have and why they'll be better from last season. Length and defense. This is a long, tall, lengthy team that is going to be great defensively. I think they're going to be the best defense in basketball as well. Uh, offensively, I think they've upgraded in terms of their spot-up guys. I mentioned this on the Pacific Divi uh, Division preview show. They have five of the top 30 spot-up players in all of basketball in terms of uh, spot-up efficiency. And then they've got other you know, good floor spacers and shooters. I think they've got upgraded uh, 
creation by bringing back D'Lo and Austin Reeves. That's probably my biggest concern outside of LeBron and AD playing well. Like you mentioned, Carson, other guys that can create in the half court. But I like the guys on the wings. I like the defense. I think LeBron and AD can reach those heights. And, yeah, I think they improved more than any other team in the offseason, man, from where they came from with all of the great impactful role players that they added. Uh, LeBron and AD have to reach that apex. But if it can happen, I fully believe in the Lakers winning the NBA Finals this year. I love it. I think that the ceiling is there, but to me they're just not as reliable in terms of the formula as my top three but who do you have in that three spot at number three i've got the milwaukee bucks and again it's really marginal between all three of these teams the one thing that i've noticed from watching the bucks in preseason with the addition of damian lillard and this is a really simple observation but it's crazy how well they're going to be able to space the floor with damian lillard like the attention that the defense has to pay uh him I watched Bucks Grizzlies the other night, man. Dame just pulling from, you know, nearly the logo. Like, it seems like it's five feet from behind the line. It's just so hard to defend when you have to pay attention to this amazing perimeter creator. And then Middleton, having him as a weapon that you can just let him go to work and create out of the pick and roll. It's seemingly unfair. I mean, it's a really good trio at the top. I think they're going to be so much better offensively than where they were with Drew Holiday. And hear me out here. Drew Holiday is one of the best perimeter defenders on the planet on the planet, bar none. I don't think the Bucks need him as much as they need a guy like Dame, right? They need the added half-court oh, creation. Yeah. They lose something, yeah, in, in a point of attack defender in Drew Holiday. But when you have Brooke Lopez and Giannis Antetokounmpo as your backline guys, you can get away with not having a great point of attack guy. So Dame just takes this team up a completely other level. He's one of the best offensive players in all of basketball, one of the best perimeter creators in all of basketball. This is going to be a great defense anchor by Giannis and Brooke. The offense is going to be so much better, and this is a peanut butter and jelly combo when you're talking about perimeter and interior combinations in Damian Lillard and uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. My one question, I guess, is the depth, really. You know, it's not as good as it has been in years previous, but there are guys that I think could step their games up. Uh, Malik Beasley did not play really well last season. Um, I think could be a really valuable weapon alongside Dame. Giannis is an off-ball guy. Andre Jackson is going to come in here and be a really good defender. Pat Connaughton's going to do his thing. And I think Marjan Beauchamp uh, has looked really good in preseason. And I'm really excited to see how he can fill it up this year. The one spot off the bench that they have to address, Carson, Robin Lopez cannot play NBA basketball. That guy <laughs> is not an NBA player anymore. I-, I like that they've got the brother pairing here. Uh, Robin and Brooke, it's cool. Robin Lopez cannot play NBA-level basketball anymore. He is just not equipped. Uh, you don't have the facilities, bruv. I'm sorry, man. Wow. Robin Lopez is not an NBA player anymore. Wow. Coming at Rolo's head. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that he's going to play. I mean, we've seen the Bucks go out there without a traditional backup center playing Bobby as that sort of mm-hmm. backup big, and I don't think that they need Lopez in a- any sort of role here. I actually have the Bucks as my number one team. Ooh. And it's what we've talked about. They have so perfectly solved their biggest offensive issue, which was that reliable elite half-court creation. The same thing that we saw kill them against the Heat where they crumbled in the crunch. Dame is one of the best in the world there. Dame is a hyper-efficient 30-point-per-game scorer, damn good playmaker, dominant pick-and-roll force, and you are just going to be 
making defenses pick their poison every single time down the floor. You run pick and roll, and it's great. All right, well, we got to hedge hard so we can take away a Damian Lillard pull-up three. Oh, wait, that means that now he's able to hit Giannis off the short roll, and it's either Giannis coming downhill, which is a nightmare, or if we send help his way, now he can kick out to one of the multiple very high-level shooters on this offense. That, to me, is just such a convincing solve for their biggest problem that, yes, I do think they've lost something defensively. And maybe this isn't the best playoff defense in the field like they were in 2022 and like they were in 2021. But I still think it's a damn good one. I still think that front court is the most important part of that defensive foundation. And when you have now this level of offensive punch, the best duo in the NBA to me and an incredibly complimentary one, and the best top four in the NBA to me and very complimentary, you get the floor spacing and the rim protection from Brooke. You get the catch-and-shoot ability from Middleton, but then also the pick-and-roll creation himself, the three-level scoring, the playmaking. There's a good shooting supporting cast here overall. I think that they have the highest two-way ceiling in the NBA. I believe they have a top-two player on the planet, and I believe that Dame covers up for all of Giannis's biggest issues. So I don't love the depth here. That is a bit of a question. I don't love the perimeter defense here. And I do wonder if they can reach the offensive ceiling of like the Denvers of the world, where it's just effortless possession to possession. Everybody's such a high level player that they have the best offensive engine in basketball in Jokic. But I don't think that they quite have to. I think they just have to be within striking range. And then they are good enough defensively in the front court to just knock down Denver's production that five to 10% and put them over the top. It's so close to me between those two teams. But that two-way formula from Milwaukee, it, it is so, so impressive to me. I buy into that the most. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think that's really the key when it comes to playing Denver. It's not about shutting them down. It's not about dominating like this. It's about being a great offense and being comparable to them where you can hang in there and then slowing them down a little bit defensively. And that's really Denver comes in at my number two spot and that's really what I would highlight in potential matchups against Milwaukee and against Los Angeles against Boston too in a hypothetical but I like Milwaukee a little more so I'll focus on that um because we've said everything there is to say about Denver they're running back basically the same core they lost some assets it's going to be important for the you know the new role guys to step up the Peyton Watsons the Christian Browns the Julian Strothers the Jalen Pickett's the Hunter Tysons of the world it's it's going to be on them to step up as role players, but it's moreover, how do they match up against these top dogs? And I think it's, I think the Lakers and the Bucks are the most well-equipped to defend them because of the Lakers' length, because of their size. And the same thing goes for the Bucks with Giannis and Brooke in the middle and Bobby Portis off the bench. You need those big guys who can not get big bodied to compete against Denver. And it's going to about, it's going to be about slowing them down enough Denver's number two, really for no other reason than I like the Lakers just a little bit more. Denver's got as repeatable a formula as they come, and I do think these role players are going to be great alongside Jokic. Uh, Julian Strother is my favorite of the bunch, was 99th percentile in spot-up situations last season, but I don't know, there's no real variables for me other than how good can the role players play, Carson. This is as you know, reliable a recipe in the NBA as they come. The Bruce Brown loss is big. Somebody's going to have to step up um, and create a little bit off the bench, but I think that somebody will. Uh, so outside of just Lakers bias, Denver comes in at number two. I just like the Lakers just a little bit more. Yeah, I think the Lakers, I think that the Nuggets have a more 
reliable formula because they have the best player in the league and they have the best offense in the league. And we saw that knock the Lakers on their ass and there wasn't really anything that they could do about that. So they have to be my favorite out West. They are neck and neck with Milwaukee. I do have a couple questions. Their depth, we need to see it. I really like Strother. I think he's pro-ready, but Bruce was a very versatile impact guy. I don't think that they're replacing his value with any one player. I like Christian Brown. We need to see him more consistently play at a high level versus last year. We talked about Jalen Pickett brings some of that bench creation out of pick and roll. Hunter Tyson brings some spot-up shooting. In the aggregate, I think they've done a good job. But I also don't think they have a single sixth guy who will impact the game like Bruce Brown did. And that does matter to some extent. And then also, the defensive ceiling they can reach. This team defended well in the playoffs last year. But when you're talking about them going against a high-powered offense like Milwaukee, which was the best shooting team in last year's playoffs, a quick appearance there, but an elite shooting group before adding Damian Lillard. Now you have that caliber of a creator. You have all that shooting. You have the unique rim pressure from Giannis. They have all of these dynamic offensive tools, and I think they're better equipped defensively. Can Denver reach that two-way level? I think we still need to see, and losing Bruce does matter there. They're starting five defended well, but he was another good, valuable defensive piece. So, the margins are so slim, and I have debated just like, is Denver being such an unstoppable machine offensively enough to give them the edge? I thought about it, but I really don't think they have an answer for what Milwaukee does opposite them, and uh, they're going to be a problem, man. The Bucks are going to be a big old problem, so right now, I would have them winning. I would have it a seven-game series between them and Denver, but they are my title pick. So, there you have it, guys. I have Bucks over Nuggets in my finals. Logan, you have Lakers over who? I have the Celtics uh, out of the East. I have the Bucks higher in my power rankings, but I'm going to say the Celtics upset the Bucks for the hell of it. So, Lakers oh. over Celtics is my official pick. All right. There you go, guys. We are officially ready to start some NBA basketball. I am excited beyond words. We are going to be giving our takeaways from opening night. We're going to do another NBA show later in the week on Friday, reacting to what we've seen from most teams opening games. So this is the most wonderful time of the year. Well, I guess really the NBA playoffs are, but super, super excited to get into all the action this season. So if you enjoyed this show, as always, you can find all of the Nerd Sesh shows at the Volume YouTube page with video. You can also listen to the podcast across audio platforms. You can follow us across social media, Instagram and TikTok at Nerd Sesh, Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh. You can join our Discord. That is at the link tree across our social media bios. If you just want to talk NBA, NFL, be part of our community there. And you can buy some Nerd Sesh merch. We've got hats. We've got hoodies. We've got the flags behind us. We've got shirts, so check all of that out at thevolume.com. And with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids, Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. 
Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.